the second session tonight, I want to take a look at a passage of Scripture, and, um, and, and I want to look at it, obviously, literally, uh, symbolically, and uh, eventually, because that's how we can get the most out of it. This is Acts chapter 1. Um, it's an amazing sort of uh, experience that they're having. It says this, so, so when they came together, uh, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, he, he, this, is, um, this is fundamentally the correct question based on their understanding. He says, he says are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, see, in their world, when they said kingdom of God, there's nobody in that world that thought that's going to heaven when you die. Nobody. Although I embrace and you embrace heaven when you die. It's just not talking about that. When Jesus said kingdom of God, they talked about taking over Rome. And, and putting Israel back in charge. And what, what I find fascinating, just to, to make a point about this, Christianity is largely birthed in trauma. And let me explain what I mean by that. Christianity's birthing event was resurrection. Now, the Hebrew word for resurrection and the Hebrew word for surprise is the same word. <laughs> and that makes sense, right? Because... It makes sense that resurrection is such a rare thing, you wouldn't have a word for it. So, so when, when resurrection happened, they just borrowed from the root word surprise. And that makes sense. Like, like if I died tonight and you came to my funeral on Wednesday and I showed up here next Sunday, surprise sort of cuts it. <laughs> and and this, is why, this is why it's so important that we don't frame God or Christianity as the source of meaning. You can't do that and then expect people not to be disappointed. Let me explain what I mean. You can't tell someone, hey, just come to God. Your life will be filled with meaning. No, it won't. Because God is not that which gives us meaning. God is that which enters into what we think meaning is and busts it wide open. Right? It's exactly what happened with resurrection. Oh, you thought the world operated this way? No. Let me burst this whole thing wide open. Let me say it a few different ways. God is not that which gives us meaning. God is that which renders all things meaningful. That is two different things. Light is not something you see. Light is the mechanism by which you see all things. Love is sort of like that. Love is love does not give the world meaning. Love is what renders the whole thing meaningful. If, if, you, if you have nothing... But you have love. You can't help but experience your world as meaningful. But you can have everything and have not love, and you can't help but experience your world as meaningless, right? God is not that which gives meaning. God is that which enters into what we think meaning is and, and busts it wide open. In, in that sense, God is trauma. And let me explain what I mean by that. Trauma is the word we use for an experience we have that turns the way we think the world was supposed to work upside down. And largely when we use the word trauma, we mean negative things. And that is an appropriate use of that word. Like, like um, if you come home from a business trip and uh, your spouse is gone and the house is empty, that is traumatic. That is a traumatic experience. Or if you're on a plane and you believe you're going to die and there's this thing that's going on, the plane's doing funny things. And, the, and, and when you look up and you see the air hostess panicking, yes. Like if, if you're scared and you look around and the air hostess is still serving drinks, don't worry. When the air hostess grabs the vomit bag, worry, okay? And so, and so you survive the thing, but you might get off and go, boy, I was traumatized by that. 
Like, that's not how that flight was supposed to, that, 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 that's a trauma. A, a trauma is the word we give to any experience we have. You can't be traumatized by an idea. Trauma is an experience that we have that changes the way we see our world from that point forward based on the fact that the way we thought the world worked actually wasn't working that way. Right? That's trauma. In that sense, God is trauma. Like, Christianity is birthed in trauma. In your experience, do dead people stay dead? Yes. So for a dead person to be walking around, that's traumatic. If, 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 I, if I died today, you came to my funeral on Wednesday, and then on Friday, you run into me at New World, trauma sort of cuts it. And the entire story is all trauma. It's all trauma. Je Jesus evidently could walk through walls after resurrection. So you imagine just hanging out with your mates, having a glass of wine, some crackers and cheese, and this guy walks through a wall and says hello. Trauma sort of cuts that, right? Remember there's one time they were frightened because he appeared? He just appeared out of nowhere. And it says they were frightened because they thought they saw a ghost. Yeah, of course, he was dead. And now here you are. And remember he has to prove he's not a ghost? Remember? He's like, give me something to eat. And he does this bar trick where, where they think he's a ghost, so he eats a piece of fish and it doesn't fall through. Right? <laughs> Trauma. Right? For the God of the universe to wash people's feet instead of expecting his feet to be washed, that's trauma. It's not how it's supposed to work. For the God of the universe to stand in the gap for people who can do nothing in return for him with no ritual, it's not how it's supposed to work. It's trauma. For, 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 the God of the, for the God of the universe to forgive the people who put nails in his hands and are mocking him and scourging him, it's not how it's supposed to work. That's, that's trauma. Actually, actually, God is not that which brings meaning. God is not that which confirms the way we think the world works. God is the presence of that which enters into what we think the world is, and it busts it wide open, and it makes it bigger. Let, let's say it this way. God is not the band-aid of meaning that we put over our wounds. God is the wound. God is the trauma. And, and actually, I, I would say that the role of the church in the world is to be traumatic. <laughs> to be the experience that busts the thing that people think meaning is wide open. You know, when somebody in your world deserves your retaliation and you give them peace, that's a form of trauma. That's a good trauma. I, I, I deserved retaliation and you gave me peace? You, you responded to my hostility with peace. That's trauma. Oh, oh, I can do nothing in return for you, but you're going to give me food and water and medicine? That is, that is trauma. We might say it's resurrection or surprise or hope. Like, hey, sweetie, your tomorrow is not simply a repeat of your yesterday because I just walked in your world. And when I walked into your world, surprise walked in. And your tomorrow is now fundamentally different. Yeah. This is trauma. So, so, so a guy rises from the dead. And you have zero file folder for that. Actually, we don't really have a file folder for that. Even though it's happened... We would still be freaked out if a dead person, if, if, if somebody we knew was dead, walked in here from the cemetery, knocking the dirt off his face. Wide birth. Why? It's trauma. So, so this is what we tend to read over these things as if, oh, yeah, 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 it was Jesus. So, wait, wait, wait a minute. Put yourself in their shoes. Dead guy rises. Trauma. And what's, what's, what's unbelievable about it is Jesus comes back from the dead. And how much does he talk about heaven? None. How much does he talk about hell? 
None. I find that unbelievable. What I find more unbelievable is no one asked him. No one was like, ha, ah, you're back. What was heaven like? What was hell like? We heard you preach there. How'd your altar call go? Did you clean out hell, you rascal, you? You know when you rose from the dead, tombs everywhere empty? That was weird. That was trauma, right? No, no. Jesus comes back from the dead, and they're like, oh, great, you're back. Are we going to take over Rome now? <laughs> Is it now? Like, they're trying to get their head around what this trauma means. for them. How is this going to fundamentally shift the way they see their whole world? And they think he's going to take over Rome. Now, watch what he says. He says, and he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Literally in Greek, none of your business. Right? He's not interested in that. Watch what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria to the end of the earth. It's a subtle thing. I'll talk about that in a second. Keep going. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. Now, I want to stop and talk about this, right? If you think the goal of Christianity is to have a divine experience with the glory of God, that's pretty much the culmination of it, right? The resurrected Christ physically in front of you starts to lift off the ground. Doesn't get much more traumatic than that. If you're looking for an experience with the glory of God that fundamentally shifts the way you see meaning, that'll do, right? Resurrected Christ, you don't get more of an experience with the glory than that. Resurrected Christ lifting off the ground. Pretty traumatic. Amazing. Something that no one would have ever seen before. Right? And a cloud took him out of their sight. Trauma. <laughs> and while they were gazing into heaven, which obviously... I actually can't imagine any other posture than... Yeah, so I, could, I actually could picture somebody asking Peter, Peter, what you put in the... <laughs> right? Like you would... I mean, that's funny, but yes or no, wouldn't you be questioning your own senses there? And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Now, what a great trick by God. If you want to play a prank on somebody... Get everybody's attention up and then put two people they've never seen before in white right between them. I, like, the phrase, what's that smell, comes to mind. <laughs> like, can we be real about this, wouldn't you? You're gazing at the sky and then when you finally... <laughs> like, oh my God, don't do that again, right? As two men stood by them in white robes, as if it wasn't creepy enough already. Let's dress them in all white. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, why are you staring at the sky? He's called you to do something here. Now get about it. And here's the thing, right? And here's the tension we have to deal with as a church. It is a good thing to seek the glory of God. As long as our experience with the glory of God equals a change in how we live out there. 
that, I'll say it this way, that at Bay City Outreach Center and, 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 um, and Equippers, I'm sure I'm speaking for them as well, and for any church in, in, in this community, I'd be fairly sure I'm speaking for the leaders when I, and if I'm not, I humbly apologize, but I know I'm right about this, is, I'm, I know I'm right that we're in simpatico on this, that, that Bay City exists to create meaningful experiences with God. Right? And all the churches in Hastings would say that. Like, we exist to create meaningful experiences with God. And that is great. And you know what? Tomorrow when the worship kicks off here, the atmosphere, the energy, the environment, you will have a meaningful experience with God in this worship center. But... If this doesn't somehow translate to that, then we create a group of people who are simply staring at the sky, waiting for God to do the next big thing for them, and the world suffering around us. That this has to translate to that. If the end goal is we just want more and more experience with the glory of God, what is that? That's just a group of people staring at the sky. Right? And these two guys in white are like, why are you staring at this guy? What are you doing? What, 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 like, did you think this was about staring at this guy, waiting for God to do? And that's the problem. I think Christianity, if we're guilty of something, it's, it's being guilty of, of being so much, hey, more glory. more. And here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with that. The only thing that's wrong with that is if it, does, if it stops there and this has to translate to that. This has to equal somehow reaching there. That, 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 that we come together for meaningful experiences with the divine in order to be empowered and inspired to change our world. But without that last sentence, we just simply run the risk of being good-hearted people who love God simply staring at the sky. And we don't want to do that. So let's, let's talk through this a, a, a couple of ways. Next slide. So what's going on in this story is in the, in the first century, the average lifespan was 32 years old. So the world's getting better, Okay. Which, that, that's, what somebody said to me the other day, they were like, say, if the world's getting better, how come the divorce rate's going up? Simple. We're living longer. Okay? Like, like when you died at 32, till death do us part, was more doable. Now, we live to 84. Right? A little bit harder. Now, here's the thing, right? You died at 32. You were married by 13. Within, I don't know, two months of your first period, you were married. And it was organized, it was arranged. You had to trade by 15 and then you lived life. So in this scene, a bunch of traumatized young adults were staring at the sky. They were staring at the sky. This story, next slide, this story starts in Jerusalem. Starts in Jerusalem. And here's the thing, I want to be clear about this. People are waiting on an ambiguous gift. This should be obvious, but I'll state it. They did not have a Bible to create a doctrine of the Holy Spirit. That was a new traumatic thought. In their world, the Spirit of God existed in one place, in one moment, in one time, and then occasionally on certain priests, certain prophets, and certain kings, maybe. Jesus is shifting the whole thing to, no, the Holy Spirit is going to fill normal, everyday, average people, and we're going to take the presence of God to the world. That is an awesome thought, but in that day, it's new. And when it's a brand new thought and there's no, you, these, the reason we have a doctrine of the Holy Spirit is because these people uh, journeyed with it. What does that mean? How does that look? What's their experience with it? 
But in this passage, there, when, when Jesus said, wait here till the Holy Spirit comes on you, there was no textbook for when to know that it happened. Right? Their question would have been, how do we know when that happens? Actually, we've been taught our whole life, if we walk into the presence of God, we're going to die. Are we all going to die? Is that the way it's going to happen? Like there would have been a, a, I don't know how to say it, a holy terror about this. They're waiting on an ambiguous gift. They didn't, they, they, you want to talk about by faith. Like I realize we walk by faith as well, but that's a whole nother level. Trying to organize things around. What do you do with a dead person walks around? What do you do when the dead person walks around, eats fish, and then goes up? And, what do you do with that? What, what do you do? Oh, he told us to wait here for the Holy Spirit. What does that even look like? We don't have a textbook of experiences to know when this happens. The, the, the third observation I want to make is, 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 is a, a speculation about the end of the world is not interesting to Jesus. So stop doing it. When the judge, Shane, what do you think about end times? I think it's boring. I just quote Jesus. It's not for us to know the times and seasons God set by his own authority. That's it's a direct quote from Jesus. That should be our response to end times. I mean, this was years ago now. But remember when, every, remember when everybody was like enamored with the blood moons, you know? Shane, oh my God, four blood moons in one year. And I went on the record in April. I was like, September 28th, nothing's going to happen. Okay? And I found it amazing that people who were vehemently against astrology were suddenly okay predicting doom through signs in the sky. It's amazing. And, and I want to go on the record with this. You all look amazing for having survived the blood moons. You look incredibly full of life. See, evidently, speculation about things we can't know is boring to Jesus as well. So if you find that kind of thing boring, join Jesus and me. It's boring. It's boring. Hey, hey, are you going to take over Rome now? What? That's not for you to know. What are you talking about? Don't waste your time. Actually, let's just get about changing our world. What are you doing? What are you doing? What, what evidently is interesting, next slide, what is interesting to Jesus is the giving and receiving of spirit. Evidently, that really gets Jesus' blood pumping. The giving and receiving of spirit. See, basity exists to create meaningful experiences with God in order to empower people for action that is elsewhere. That this has to translate to that. This is a totally new paradigm shift. You want to talk about an experience with the glory of God. It does not get any more climactic than that. And it was still with that. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm fixing to give you a climactic experience with the glory of God. And then you've arrived. Just sit here until I do it again. No, he says, get about changing your world. This was supposed to come with power that would change the world forever. And here's the subtlety in it. He says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the world. This is so subtle to us, but to them it would have been like, mm, right, right? They're Jews. So when you're, think about this, you're trying to process the implications of resurrection. And one question you would be asking is, is this just for Jews? That would have been a reasonable question, right? And they, in their world, they would have thought that. But Jesus changes the whole thing radically. It's trauma. He goes, oh, Jerusalem. A first century Jew would go, Jerusalem? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. It's where we live. Cool. Judea? Sure. People like us? Yeah. Samaria? Oh, 
See, Judeans and Samaritans were mortal. They were enemies. These people would walk, walk miles out of their way to avoid seeing one another. That's how bad it was. We get annoyed when we have to drive miles out of our way to avoid somebody. See, see Jesus is like, no, no, no. The, 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 the work of God can't be contained to, to, to Jews. It's got to be for the whole world. It's got to be for everything. Like, in, in other words, evidently, the work of the Spirit of God cuts across gender, male, female. It cu- evidently cuts across social class, slave-free. It, evidently, it cuts across uh, politics, Jew-Gentile, race. Jew-Gentile. E- evidently, this gospel is so radical that it fundamentally shifts who we identify with. That actually, I'm in Christ before I'm an American. That your in Christness trumps your Kiwiness, if I could make up a word there. Like your in Christness trumps your Mauriness. Your in Christness trumps your African Americanness. Your in Christness trumps your Africanness. Your your in Christness evidently trumps your Africanness. Evidently, evidently, our in Christness trumps. Everything. And there's now one shared humanity. Evidently, your in Christness trumps all blacks or wallabies. (laughs) See, next slide. Jesus is saying that the gospel can't be contained to Jerusalem. It's like growing out of your current wardrobe. It's supposed to bring together, you know... Israel and Palestine, Bernie and the Tea Party, you know. In Australia, maroons and blues. Here, you know, Kiwis, wallabies, Kiwis, Springboks, whatever the illustration helps. Because there's a fundamental, next slide, a fundamental application to identity. That there's an application, that your fundamental identity is in Christ. Your past, your mistakes, your prestige, your culture, that no longer really defines you. Actually, your in Christness defines you. And actually, this is very important. That because of this traumatic experience, here's what they came to the conclusion of. That there's no longer male, female, Jew, Greek, slave, free. That, that actually all are one. There's one, Paul actually called it one shared humanity. But think about that. What that means is, is that it is important that we keep our tribal identity close. Like there's nothing wrong with that. If you're Maori, it's important for you to embrace your Maoriness. Or your Kiwiness, or or your Australianness, or your South Africanness. That, that's okay. That's important. Unless your embracing of your tribal identity violates the larger humanity. Evidently, evidently, Paul and these guys are saying because of what we just saw in this trauma, what we thought, the way we thought the world meant, meant something. It's actually bigger than that. Actually, there's one shared humanity, and if our tribal identity ever violates shared humanity, it's it's a problem. It's sort of like this. Let's say the All Blacks are playing the Wallabies in a test, right? And wherever they would do that, whatever stadium, and there's a big gathering. Let's say it's the big game. Like it's winner take all. Wallabies, All Blacks, bring it, right? Maybe the better example would be Springboks All Blacks because I think that would be a better game. But here's the thing, right? Well, okay, Springboks. I, I like your response a little better with that one. Springboks, all blacks. This is a hypothetical example. 
So everybody descends upon Auckland Stadium for the game. You drive up. You're wearing your All Blacks jersey. Some of you be wearing your Springboks jerseys because I can hear the Afrikaans in your voice, you know. And you're swearing at them, you know, in Afrikaans. I can't understand it, you know. You're saying to everybody with a smile on your face, Munio Pupo Vies Niasablif, you know. And the Kiwis just go, oh. Uh, but you know, you know what you're saying. And you're outside the stadium, all black Springboks. There's 80,000 all blacks. There's 10,000 Springboks jerseys. And you're, you're at a concession stand. You get a hot dog, you know. You're eating this hot dog. There's a guy in a Springboks jersey. And he chokes his hot dog. He's starting to turn blue. He's going to die, you know. And somebody says, help! He's choking! He's going to die! And you're a trained Kiwi doctor. And you look at him and you go, I would, but he's wearing a Springboks jersey today. <laughs> See, it's important that we embrace our tribal identities unless our tribal affiliations start affecting the whole. Paul called us to something more profound than that, and that is seeing one shared humanity, one gender. Like, like Jew, Greek, slave, freak, male, female. Don't treat men better than women. Don't treat women better than men. No, no, no. No, no. One shared humanity. So it has an application around identity. Next slide. It also has an application around belonging. That we're no longer simply individuals. We belong to a larger idea. We are joined to a community that, that is being transformational and transformed by this trauma, this experience with the presence of God. And third, there's mission. See, and this is where it all comes together because it's a Trinitarian structure, identity, belonging, and mission. See, identity and belonging without mission, that's, what's that? that's a country club. We have identity, we have belonging, but nothing is going out there, then that's just simply a group of people staring at the sky. And even if you're doing a good thing, we're what are you doing? What do you people do over there? We seek the glory of God. We seek ecstatic experiences that bring us closer to the divine. Okay, yes. And then what? Nothing. We just come back and do it again. Then, then we run the risk of doing good things that are just simply staring at the sky. Just simply staring at it. Because see, mission and belonging without, sorry, identity and belonging without mission is a country called Mission without identity and belonging is baseless energy. So, so let's make some observations about this. Next slide. So they've been given all they need. Everything is already theirs. They're still in Jerusalem. And they're staring at the sky instead of doing what they were charged to do. And let's be fair to them. The charge to them to get on with it came pretty quickly. Like they're like this. And then two men in white are like, don't! God, don't do that again, right? And then they charge, why are you staring at this guy? What are you doing? What are you doing? Let, let's say it this way. Next slide. See, anyone, anywhere, at any time can witness to the saving grace of Jesus. Evidently, in this new world, God doesn't use special people at special places at special moments. Evidently, every, this, everybody's involved in this. And, and so sometimes we are great witnesses with our words, like, you might look at what I do and go, boy, you're good at that. Or I don't like you that much, but whatever, right? But man, you, but I could never do that. That's okay. That's okay. And I would say, if you're not good with witnessing with your words, don't do it, right? If you're not good with, with sharing the gospel with words, 
then don't feel compelled to do it. You'll probably do more harm than good. There's nothing worse than somebody sharing the gospel in a way that sucks, right? And you're like, what are you doing? You're terrible at that. Yeah, but he told me to be with no, it. Sometimes, sometimes we're great witnesses with our words because some people are really gifted that. But sometimes we're great witnesses with our actions. You know, showing up at a single mom's house with a month's worth of groceries to get her ahead of the game is just as much a witness of the gospel of Jesus as me doing whatever I'm doing up here. Totally, totally. Giving someone medicine that wouldn't have it without it, that is just as effective and just as powerful and in no ways less than what I'm doing right now. See, some people do it with words. Some people do it with actions. And Sometimes we're witnesses with our presence. Like, you know what? If a friend of yours... If their eight-year-old dies, to go in there and try to make sense of that with them, what are you? No, no. Suffering is not something we can, that we can intellectualize. Suffering is just stuff we have to go through. The only way to help somebody in that level of pain is simply be present in it. Actually trying to use words at that moment can be so offensive. There's nothing you can say. You can just simply say, I can't do anything to solve this, but you will not go through this alone. I'm going to be here with you. And how is that any less important than what I'm doing or what you're doing? See, sometimes, sometimes we're witnesses with our words. Sometimes we're witnesses with our actions. Sometimes we're witnesses with our presence. So, so let's wrestle with this a little bit, okay? I have a few questions I want us to wrestle with in terms of culture. Let me stop and remind us where we've come. If you can see it, it's not the kingdom. It's not. The kingdom cannot be observed. The kingdom is a mustard seed cultivated by ground where people say small yeses along the way. That the best way to engage scripture is the literal, the meaning, and the eventual nature of truth. That we have to allow ourselves to be uncomfortable and wrestle in order to grow. So let's wrestle with this. Is there any of us that need to hear the good news of our identity in spite of our mistakes? Paul, Peter, James, John, they all insisted something that was so profound. That because of the resurrected Christ... Your identity is no longer in what you do or your race or your color or your creed or your background. Your identity is in Christ and that in Christness trumps it all. Where do we need to stop and actually embrace that and see our world differently that way? Where are we, where are we um, sabotaging ourselves by purporting us and them? See, us and them works until we're the them. Actually, like us and them works until we're the outsiders. Actually, what if it was one shared humanity, right? Or, or, or let's say it this way. Do we need to hear the announcement of new creation? That's one of the meanings I see here. When resurrection happens right in front of you, nothing screams new life bursting forth in the middle of this one like a dead guy walking around. Where do you need new, new life in your current situation? Is there any place we could identify that and bring it to the foot of the cross? Let's say it this way. Do we need to accept a Judean or a Samaritan? Like, like I, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not a New Zealander. Right? I actually don't really know your history. But, and, and maybe there's no racism in New Zealand. Maybe. I don't know. Like maybe that's like not a thing y'all deal with. Right? But, but my hunch is that's not true. My hunch is, my hunch is, is that there's still a little bit in Kiwi culture. There's a little bit of us in them. Maybe. And if it is, where do we need to adjust a bit and go, hang on, it's not us and them. It's one shared humanity. Us and them thinking creates disasters like happened in Christ Church. The thing that happened in Christ Church is a physical manifestation of us and them thinking. In Christ, there is no us and them thinking. It's, it's us. 
that it's one shared humanity. Where do we need to do something radical and accept somebody not like us? Let's say it this way. Next slide. Where's the gospel bigger than we thought? Like maybe, maybe in the last two nights you've thinking, you thought, man, man, I, I, right or wrong, I don't know, but it sure is bigger than I thought. Maybe we're, well, let's say it the opposite way. Where have we tried to contain the gospel to only what makes us comfortable, but actually God has called us to be a little bit more uncomfortable? Where are we, where are we willing to experience a little bit of discomfort ourselves so that someone else can feel comfortable and belong? Yeah. Or, or let's say it this way. Who, who have we told you're not allowed to belong here because of something about you? Is there any person or group of people who feel less than welcome to belong in our churches because of something about them? And, and maybe we need to do something uncomfortable and, and, and humble ourselves so that they can belong and be exposed to the presence of God and the trauma. And, and, the, and, and I mean a good trauma, like the, the, the trauma of, of, of being exposed to meaningful experiences with God that bust the way we think the world works wide open. Let's say it this way. In what ways are we simply staring at the sky? And I can't answer that for you. Only you know your walk with God. Is your walk with God simply an activity of going week to week to week staring at the sky? Come on, God, more glory. Come on, God, more presence. Come on, God. Okay, yes. Amen. As long as this leads to that. But if this doesn't lead to that, then we're simply staring at the sky. And the last thing I'd want to see happen is two men in white warning you about this tomorrow. <laughs> Where do we need to show the power we have been given for something bigger than staring at the sky? Whose life can we change this week? Whose life can we change this week? Hit that last slide. It's the same question. I want to leave us on this. Where do we need to show the power we've been given for something bigger than staring at the sky? That's the question I want to leave us with to wrestle with. It's a good thing to stare at the sky. It's a good thing to seek God. It's a good thing to experience the glory. It's a good thing to want more of his presence. It's a good thing. Those are good things as long as this somehow translates to that. Maybe, maybe you need to make a phone call this week to one of the leaders here and say, how can I get involved? I've been simply staring at the sky. I've, I've been authentically experiencing the worship here. And you know what? I haven't given a dollar. And, and I haven't... I, I, there's a whole kids ministry that I could help. There's, there's, there's teenagers I could give. There's, there's community outreach. There's missions we could do. Wait, wait, where, you know what? I got to admit, I'm not doing anything wrong. But my life in Christ has centered around all the no's. And it's time for me to say the more profound yes. It's time. It's, I, you know, I got to admit, I'm just simply staring at the sky. And there's nothing wrong with staring at the sky. But, but you know what? This has to translate to that. Because I don't want to simply be someone staring at the sky. Maybe you need to write an email or send a text and say, uh-uh, you know what? I have been profoundly seeking the presence of God, and that's a good thing, but I got to admit, all my experiences with God, it's not, I'm just staring at this guy. Would you help me? Would you help me journey to a place where I can give my, I can be inspired here so that this translates to that. So may you, my brothers and sisters of Bay City, may you be people who establish the kingdom, not in a way that you can see it, this or that. Resist the urge to idolize it or name it. Just create ground conducive for the seed to grow. May you be willing to be uncomfortable and grow and have good, um, courageous conversations that, that help us move. And may we always be people who seek fervently the presence of God, but never, ever settle for simply staring at the sky. Till I see you tomorrow, everybody. Grace and peace. God bless. Come on, let's put it together for Shane. That was just fantastic.
How many people you got something out of that to take home and to chew on? Absolutely fantastic. Don't forget, you can log on to Bay City Church on the webs on uh, on YouTube, and you can just keep re- watching and Facebook, and just keep watching over there again. Get it into your heart. Fantastic. Have a fantastic evening, and for those of you that are part of Bay City, look forward to seeing you tomorrow. For you other churches, have a fantastic Sunday and a blessed week.